Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here the number one station at uh, 5 o'clock. And this is a TriCast, WABC 770 out of Midtown and WLIR out of Hamptons and 970 AM, The Answer. And in the studio with us, we have uh, uh, Judge uh, Weinberg, a common-sense Democrat, and two common-sense uh, Republicans, uh, former Congressman Peter King. That's it. Carbonetti's not that. And he's, he's not common-sense, Carbonetti. <laughs> I try to have some sense. I don't know if it's common We call him Chief. Tony Carbonetti, former Chief of Staff to uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and my sidekick, Lydia Serrano. Lydia, we have a great show today. Absolutely. We'll be speaking with uh, Senator Alphonse D'Amato, uh, Steve Forbes, of course, talking about that Fed hike. That's incredible. Uh, John DeVito of the ATF, Governor Rick Perry. We'll talk about oil, of course, and the plea that Biden is making to the oil companies. I mean, we'll talk about that. Anyway, on the line with us right now, uh, and of course, Congresswoman Marie Salazar. She's going to talk about George Soros trying to buy up a bunch of Hispanic radio stations. But first on the line, we have Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, Pulitzer Prize winning writer. His latest column, Democrats doomed by feeble Biden and weak batch of candidates behind him. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Michael Goodwin. Thank you, Lydia. Tell us, uh, you, you wrote an interesting article. I mean, is Biden going to survive this term? Forget about next term. <laughs> well, I think I think that's a real question, John. Uh, it it certainly is up in the air. I mean, the, you know, the 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 fact that, as according to the New York Times, that Democrats are secretly talking about this. Uh, the way I state it is, the Times has now given them permission to go public with it uh, by writing about it. So I think that. We're in the next few days and weeks. We're going to see exactly how strongly the Democrats feel about Biden. Uh, we know that uh, his poll. Look, this is all poll driven. I mean, his numbers are terrible, uh, and they're on the big issue of the economy. They are the worst of all. Something like twenty-eight percent approval on his performance of the economy. I mean, this is. This is awful stuff. You don't you don't get there by accident. Uh, that has to be your policies. That's a reflection on the policies. And it's a sense that I, I think if you watch the president, he doesn't inspire any confidence that he really has any answers. He gets angry. He blames other people. But that, to me, is a is a fool's errand that just makes you look weak. Uh, when you say that other people are to blame, and it's a very hard sell, I think, at that point, given how bad things are. It doesn't comfort people to know that the president believes he can't do anything about it. Michael, in uh, your, Michael this is Pete King. In your column today, uh, besides saying how weak Biden is, you also say the Democrats have a weak bench. But suppose they went with somebody like uh, Michelle Obama. 
Well, I think that's sort of an outside-the-box opportunity, Pete, and I think that uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey is another one like that, somebody who's not been in politics. Somebody wrote to me today and said, you know, think of it as that that would be the, the shock to the system that, that Trump provided on the other side. Uh, and I think there's some validity to that. Uh, the problem is neither one of those women have have ever shown any real interest right. in doing it. They both said no repeatedly. So I think if you count on sort of a unicorn, you're probably not going to uh, be happy with the outcome. Because I think November is going to be a disaster for the Democrats. That election in Texas last night where the Mexican-born female took a seat that was Democrat for 150 years, the last time the, in 2020 the congressional candidate Democrat won it by 26 points. So that, to me, is really uh, says a red wave is coming unless Republicans screw it up themselves. Yeah, and, Mike, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. I think uh, the congressman is absolutely correct. I think November is going to tell the story because if the Republicans do very well, the Democrats get trounced, you can see a lot of people abandoning the Biden ship. He's going to have a hard time governing in terms of getting people into administration, and people are going to be looking around to to replace him. That's going to be the momentum after that election. And Michael Goodwin, one of the View hosts, Sonny Hostin, she was saying she would like to see a Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg ticket. Oh my God, that's what she was saying. <laughs> so would I. Well, I'd like to see that. I, 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 anybody who wants the Republicans in wants that. Yes, see, I'm good. always here for the comic relief. Yes, uh, look, I think that would be uh, a priceless ticket. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That, that's the that's the problem, right? There's no bench. I mean, you as I say in the, in the column, I think one of the interesting things is the Democrats had a succession plan. Hillary Clinton was going to follow Barack Obama. Uh, for, she was going to have it for eight years, and there would be this new generation that would come along. So Trump screws that up by defeating Hillary in 16. Uh, Biden has to come out of retirement or coming out of his uh, big guy uh, relationship with Hunter Biden and uh, come back into politics. But as we see, he's too old. He's too enfeebled. He's he's too slow. And it's not working. So here we are in what would be the second the, the sort of the midpoint of the second Clinton term, and they have no bench. There's nowhere to go. I mean, I go through the names. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Harris and Buttigieg. Uh, uh, the, the senators, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar. I mean, is anybody pining for them? How about another Bernie Sanders run? Uh, anybody really want that? So I think that there is just this emptiness on the bench. But then I would just say quickly, too, that it's not just who, but it's what. And what does the Democratic Party stand for? I mean, that's another casualty of the Biden administration. When you look at the mish, the mashup of, of these very far-left policies, he calls himself a moderate, but the number of radical things that his administration has put into the bloodstream, everything from uh, teaching CRT in schools, the whole transgender issue, uh, reparations has gotten new life. I mean, a lot of very, of course, the Green New Deal, very radical things that 
by and large, have been rejected by the public. So is the next Democratic candidate for president, or there will probably be many, but will the the one who gets the nominee, will that be another centrist? Will will, will there be a new generation of centrists coming back into the party? Uh, It's very hard to imagine. I mean, look how Joe Manchin is treated. Look how Kristen Sinema is treated uh, just by wanting to vote no on the monstrosity bill of the Build Back Better. So it's hard to see where this party goes uh, and who it would pick on the basis of policies. Well, Biden, you know, we all talk about his age, but Donald Trump would be what, like 78, 79. And my issue with Biden isn't his age. It's his policies. It's the fact that he opens our our borders and the gas prices and he's refusing to recognize what the real issue is, that with his first executive order, we're seeing this extraordinary inflation and we've he become caused, energy independent. Absolutely. He did. And now he wants to blame the oil companies. What do you say, uh, Michael Goodwin? Oh, no question. I mean, he, as I say in the column, he's no Harry Truman. Uh, the buck doesn't stop with him. It always stops with somebody yep. else, which I say, I think, is a, is a reflection of weakness. It, it says that I can't do anything. I'm, I'm helpless to help you. Uh, that is not an inspiring figure in the Oval Office. Uh, and, and in terms of his age, look, uh, it's not just the number. Right. It's it's it, you see him. You, yep. you look at a video of him five years ago. He's a changed man. There's something going on with him. And so, uh, look, I think one of the one of the secret weapons the Democrats have is, oh, the pr- president has taken sick and uh, we're going to have to uh, use the 25th Amendment or he's going to step aside temporarily or something for medication. You know, I mean, he it is, as, as John said in the in the opening, it is kind Kind of hard to imagine him finishing the next two years. Even I he was never a leader, M- yeah. Michael. It's Tony Carbonetti. He he was never a leader. He was never inspiring. Uh, but I, I think it even goes back to Obama when the, the whole Democratic philosophy of uh, instead of Obama standing out there and saying, "Look at me, look at what I accomplished," it only happens here in America. He said it's the 1% versus the rest of us. Dig a ditch, put your hand out, and the government will come give you food because you can't do this. Only I can. You you understand what I'm saying? No one talks about the greatness of America. That's why Trump became inspiring. That's why now when we have high oil prices, high food prices, and like you said, no one's inspired by the president. The president's not saying, oh, okay, we'll listen to you and we'll get out of this. Right? Who's thinking that? Yeah, but there's a bigger story here, Michael, and that is that the Democratic establishment knew exactly what they had. That's why they hit him in the basement. They knew he was inept. They knew he was infirm, and yet they propagated this guy on the American people, and that's morally wrong. I don't even think the Democrats realize just how incompetent and inept he is. Though. Well, somebody knew they the handlers knew they kept him in the basement. What's happened the last not even two years has been catastrophic. Michael Goodwin, I mean, that's all you have to do is just go put fuel in your car. There was an, a report out of Ohio that they're limiting their police patrols because of the gas prices. Uh, I saw EMS workers. I mean, there's all these reports all over the country that people are choosing between buying groceries and buying gas. They can't find baby formula. They can't find feminine hygiene products. I mean, for Biden to get up there and say the economy has never been better, America has gotten better since he's gotten into office. Does he think Americans are that stupid? 
Well, he must because uh, I mean, for real, real wages are falling, right? I mean, when you even if you got a a five percent raise, if inflation is eight percent, nine percent, you're down three or four percent. I mean, you've lost money because of the inflation. So, yeah, he you would have to think that he can say these things, but it just there's no credibility. There's simply no credibility. I mean, uh, and we haven't. This to me is is fairly recent phenomenon. This is very unusual for the President of the United States to get up there and speak, and not just one side of the media poo-pooing it, but that to the common ear, it's not true, right? You don't need it. You don't even need fact checkers for the most part. It's just simply and obviously not true. I mean, he tells these stories about his own life. Right. I mean, that he was arrested in South Africa, right? That, that that he started at Delaware State University, historically black. That he drove a big rig. He drove a big rig. That that he was. <laughs> You'd uh, imagine every elected official remembers when they get arrested, except yeah. maybe Bill De Blasio, because it happened so many times. But yeah, it's like corn pop. The whole corn pop saga that he talks about. So all of these things. I mean, we've never had a president like that. That just makes these things up. Or even worse, he can't remember. He doesn't remember his own life. I mean, this is pretty extraordinary stuff, and at a very dangerous time. I mean, Meanwhile, I, I keep harping on his comments about regime change in Russia, militarily defending Taiwan. Do we really want to have a nuclear war with Russia and China? I mean, is that – and it's not even our policy. It's just things he says. Meanwhile, Michael Goodwin, we're, our country is going downhill. We're transferring – uh, the difference in in gasoline prices, we're trans- transferring, I think it's a half a billion dollars a year from the American pockets to wherever, wherever we're buying it from. And despite the sanctions, Russia's oil production has actually, it's soaring. So, yeah. I mean. And I, and I saw something, John, you would know about this, too, the question of fertilizer for food production. Uh, I mean, it's apparently the secretly we're, we're, we're encouraging the world to buy more Russian fertilizer. I mean, again, what was he thinking? I mean, it just it seems to be no thought. I mean, his relationship with Saudi Arabia, first he gives him the back of his hand because they're so close to Trump and they're making the deals with Israel. And now suddenly he's begging Saudi Arabia. Uh, it, it's, it's all a failure. Well, we're in deep doo-doo, and uh, I think we take one day at a time right now, Michael, and uh, and uh, we we are all concerned and and uh, what's happening. Michael, Sal- uh, we got it. Michael Goodwin, Mike, thank you so much, thank and you. Uh, thank you for all your wisdom. And I look forward to reading more of your columns. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you all. Uh, now on the line for us, we have a uh, Congress. I um, excuse me, Governor Rick Perry. How are you, sir? How are Governor, you, Governor? Secretary. Hey, let's Mr. hire John, up Secretary. You, you know, when he was Governor, I used to talk to him all the time. When he became Secretary, I didn't talk to him for four years. <laughs> I know that's crazy. I didn't get to New York City very often, so that's you know my my loss. I stayed on the road a lot, John. That was uh, President Trump liked to see his folks out. Um, doing what we were doing. In my case, it was selling LNG to the European um, allies in particular and, and uh, working to kind of throttle the Russian oil um, um, 
cartel, if you will call it that. I think you could. And uh, anyway, we were very successful in those days, and I didn't get a chance to get to New York City very often. uh, uh, I miss seeing you, though. I hope your family's doing well. All all is well. And uh, our country, I am worried about our country. Uh, President Biden and the White House has declared war, war, war on the fossil fuel industry in North America. And uh, the prices went from $55 a, a barrel to 120 and and we're making the American people poorer. And he's blaming everybody else. He's blaming Putin. He's blaming uh, Ukraine. He's, blaming... he's the one that, 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 that forced this situation and forced the price of, of crude oil up. I'd like to hear it from you. Well, you're correct. It's uh, you know, when politicians, by and large, don't ever stand up and say, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. We need to change directions. From time to time, though, real leaders will do that. And, and obviously, Joe Biden is not a real leader. Uh, he would rather blame this on uh, everyone else rather than his own policies. And just to kind of step back from all the uh, the, the screech and the, and the partisan uh, rhetoric that we see today, rhetoric that we see today, and, and, and really – just look at this on its factual uh, evidence. And then candidate Biden said he was going to do everything that he could to make Americans change their fossil fuel uh, habits, if you will. He was going to do everything that he could to stop the drilling of oil wells, the Uh, production of energy in America, and he's done that. So those people who voted for him, uh, they need to be held accountable uh, because if they're they're grousing about the price of gasoline, of inflation, of recession, of open borders, of defund the police, he said he was going to do all of those things. And they disliked Donald Trump enough that they were like, you know, if we just get rid of Donald Trump, you know, surely Joe Biden can't be that bad. But the fact is, he is that bad. And he is putting America and America's future in jeopardy. Uh, The average citizen out there that's having to make a decision about whether they're going to fill their, you know, their pickup truck up all the way or they're going to buy groceries, uh, that's, that's happening in a lot of places. You saw an election last night in Texas on the border where a Republican, uh, Latina, uh, first time in probably 100 years that that district has been Republican. Uh, And the Hispanic voter is looking at Joe Biden saying, we're not for what he's doing with our economy. Uh, He's destroying our uh, immigration system uh, by allowing all of these people just to flow into uh, – she's uh, – Miss Flores is married to uh, a Border Patrol agent, so she sees this firsthand. It's her district. Her husband is a Border Patrol agent. And uh, the message is clear. Uh, the Hispanic voter in Texas who are, you know, by and large, they're hardworking, small businessmen and women. They are religious people, Catholic in a lot of cases, pro-life. And they look at this administration, they go, no more. 
you know, we may have grown up Democrat. We may have been, you know, our parents and our grandparents all said, you know, the Democrat Party took care of them, but not this Democrat Party. And we're going to vote Republican because we see that it's the future of, for our families, for our state. Rick Perry, our- this is uh, former Congressman Pete King. It's always good to, to listen to you. As how for- are you, Peter? I- I'm doing fine, Rick. How are you doing? As, as, oh, as a former governor you, of sir. Texas, I mean, you're, uh, you're talking about that district. Is that going to spread throughout Texas in the uh, Hispanic community? And you see that going throughout, let's say, New Mexico, California, other areas. Is this uh, now embedded in the Hispanic community to reject a lot of these liberal policies? Well, I, I think it is. I can't speak to New Mexico and California uh, and, and Colorado that have you know, substantial uh, Hispanic populations. I can speak to Texas. You know, there have been people here who have said, oh, Texas is going to go back to being a Democrat state. It's going to go back blue because the Hispanic population is growing. And I told them, I said, no, it's not. And I said, let me tell you why it's not. Because in the early 2000s, we started making education opportunities and improving our public schools where those young Hispanics that were coming into our system and were uh, both graduating from high school. Uh, we went from 27th in the nation to second highest high school graduation rates from 2001 to 2011. So those Hispanics were, which were a who was the governor then, Rick? Part of our Rick. Who was the governor then? Yeah, uh, yes, sir. For that whole period of time, fourteen <laughs> years, as a matter of fact. Mm. But the point is, they understand that if you give our children, if you give our people the opportunity to succeed educationally, they will succeed economically. So governing's not tough, John. It's it's actually pretty simple. Don't overtax, don't overregulate, don't overlitigate, and have a skilled workforce, which translates into accountable public schools. That's what we did in Texas. And the Hispanic population here stood back and took a look at that, and they said, you know what? These Republicans in Texas, and I'm just going to speak to Texas, uh, it, it is, that, that's what I know best. Uh, they said the Republicans in the state of Texas have been good for our families. They've been good for our business. And so Texas is never going to become a Democrat blue state again because the Hispanic voter and Biden has driven them to the Republican Party in droves, I will suggest to you, because of his open border policy, his defund the police policy, his economic policies. And you're going to see that, I think, Peter, all across the the, the country uh, particularly in states that have allowed uh, that Hispanic uh, family to recognize that, listen, you're putting policies in place that's improving my children's education opportunities. Therefore, they're going to be economically uh, successful. So I, I think the Democrat Party has lost the lock now, I'm not going to say that they're, you know, they, they couldn't retrieve people, but they've got to change their positions. The president of the United States has got to stand up and say, you know what? I made a mistake about fossil fuels. We are going to, uh, you know, designate critical energy infrastructure problems. Yeah. Secretary Set, <laughs> Perry, we're, gonna, we're, we're coming up on a break, but I, I want to be able to get one more question in. Uh, President Biden is not only att- attacking American fossil fuel industry, now they're attacking the, 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 uh, 
the oil companies themselves and, and threatening them that they're going to have War Powers Act? What is a War Powers Act? Yeah. Well, that, the, the craziness of this is you remember back in the uh, late 70s, Jimmy Carter had his windfall profits tax. It's the same mentality. The, the, they think the American people are so stupid that they can say, oh, the reason these prices are high is because the oil companies are out there you know, with these monstrously big profits. You look at all of the big industries. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think the FTC took a look at this uh, it, within the last six months at, at the behest of uh, the administration uh, to look and see if there were uh, practices that were driving up the cost of gasoline. The fact of the matter is they didn't find anything. When you hey, and, and those companies are not owned by individuals. Hey, those companies are owned by all the 401k plans in America. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but, 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 John, but even more importantly, their, their profit levels when, as a percentage of, of, their, uh, of, of their company, if you're going to go after somebody for making too much money, then you need to start with the information technology industry first and then come back down to some other ones because you have to go like five or six different sectors to find one that's as high as the oil and gas industry. This is a – uh, a red herring that the Biden administration is is throwing out there, just like Putin, just like everything else. When the fact is, if Mr. Biden wants to see where the problem is in America with the economy today, go stand in front of the mirror. Secretary Amen. Perry, Secretary Perry, thank you so much, Secretary of Energy Rick Perry. Uh, we're going to be catching up with you. I'm not going to wait four years. We're going to be catching up with you sooner. <laughs> You're good, John. Thank Happy you so to much. do it. Godspeed to you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Thank you. And now we have on the line for us Congresswoman Marie Salazar of Florida. Congresswoman Salazar, we got to talk about this story about George Soros. It appears he is set to purchase 18 Hispanic radio stations across 10 different markets across the United States. I can only imagine just how outraged you must be. Yes, and thank you very much for the opportunity to be talking to all of you, and specifically with Mr. Katsimatidis. I'm one of his uh, big fans. We, we miss you. I haven't you. seen you in the studio in, a while, in New York for a while. And, and yeah, listen, I will be there whenever you invite me because uh, you are one of my favorites. You are wow. the true American dream, and I am another one. You. Well, listen, this. yes, thank you. Yes, I am. I'm the daughter of political refugees first-generation American, Cuban-American uh, parents who came to the United States looking for a better life and to uh, escape socialism. And that's the problem, that unfortunately the Soros group understands that the Hispanics are understanding that they don't want to be slaves to the Republican Party anymore. Enough for the Republican Party to play political football with Hispanics, the Browns, the Latinos, many of them who live in the state of New York and in Manhattan. You know, we have the same values as the Republican Party. We're understanding that now, and that's why the Soros group bought those 18 stations that cater specifically to the Hispanic uh, community. They pay $20 million more, $20 million. That doesn't happen in capitalism. You pay the right market price for the assets. You don't pay anymore. So what does that tell you? This is an ideological buy to keep on penetrating with the neo-Marxist ideas, the Hispanic it's community. It's a propaganda and very, 
Say yeah, that again? It's, it's, it's a, a prop- propaganda buy. Of course. So they can silence the GOP positions, the free market economy, liberty, freedom, pro-life, uh, uh, being able to, to uh, profit from your own labor, no one taking the money that you produce, take it away from you. So, so it's, it's very concerning. And specifically, the radio station that belongs to my district, which is Miami, which is called Radio Mambi, which has been one of the uh, conservative ba- bastions, stalwarts of conservative ideas. And that's why they are so highly rated, because we in my community, the city of Miami, know we know what democratic socialism means. It's beautiful in theory. It's miserable in practice. Well, that's, and that, I am that's very why concerned. they, 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 they didn't change. want to let cu- more Cuban Americans in. Uh, when they were letting all the refugees in, they restricted the Cuban American the Cubans. But but if they change programming, people should stop listening and find a new station to listen to, one that John Katzimatidis <laughs> buys in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I think putting I on think the spot, that's or you can stream it WABCRadio.com. Always broken your deal. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. I think I, I agree with you, Katzimatidis. It's, it's an example of what the, the news spot. organization should be doing. But, you know, if you're busy and this, this is happening in this is happening in California, this is happening on the West Coast. If you're busy and you don't know where to go and you have a couple of outlets that you're familiar with and they start changing the tune and they start they start pr- producing and reporting the news in a slanted way. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it starts changing. It's, it's the penetration. Is there any way met. to stop that transaction or the deal is done? Apparently the deal is done. I oh have been God. asked that same question. I went to the Univision people. But, you know, if you're a Univision and you're, and you're selling and they're giving you 20 mil more, are you going to go, oh, of course, please welcome. All right. Where All do right. I sign? Unfortunately, well, but we need people like you, John. And uh, to fight the good fight, because if we don't bring the we have to, to fight the together. We are all fighting together for for America because it's yes, the sir. last stronghold. And and uh, we, you know, if we don't fight together, we're going to lose. And we're going to look for future generations. And the Republicans, we are not perfect, but we are not socialists. Congressman. Uh, Salazar, thank you so much. We love you. and uh, love to you. Keep fighting. Indeed, indeed. Thank Same you. here. Let's take a break, and when we come back. We'll be speaking with John DeVito of the ATF. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. We still got our great lineup coming up, so keep it right here. We'll be talking to Steve Forbes, Senator Alphonse D'Amato. Now we have on the line for us John DeVito. He began serving as a special agent in charge of the New York Field Division of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, a.k.a. the ATF. Uh, Agent uh, DeVito, what is going on? We're seeing this proliferation of guns on the streets here of New York City, despite us having some of the strictest gun laws on the books. Explain to us, the American people, what's going on. Well, bottom line, we have a lot of guns in circulation. You know, over 500 million have been produced since 1984 and another 18 to 20 million added to the economy every single year. You know, everyone wants to talk about this iron pipeline, but it's not actually a pipeline. And I, I say this all the time as I'm trying to educate everyone on the difficulties of doing trafficking investigations to stop the flow of guns to the streets. But 
it's more aligned to uh, an unknown number of garden hoses that are all on a slow trickle. You know, so it's three guns here, five guns there that's occurring uh, thousands upon thousands of times a day across this entire nation. So what we have to do as law enforcement, because we can't attack the volume of guns that are out there, we have to focus our limited resources uh, to be more effective at addressing the drivers of violent crime in our communities. So one of the big key things that I've been doing here in New York is working with our partners to optimize all of our skill sets and our data sets to hopefully identify that small percentage of the criminal population that's driving violent crime in our uh, communities and figuring out how those individuals are acquiring those guns. Uh, because, I, uh, you know, if there was a pipeline, it'd be much easier to identify, but unfortunately it isn't. So we have to utilize all of our tool sets to uh, be better at our job every single day. Agent, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. What are your thoughts if the Supreme Court of the United States finds that the, the so-called Sullivan Law here in New York is unconstitutional violation of the Second Amendment. What's the impact for you? Well, explain what the Sullivan Law is for people that might it's, not know, Judge. It deals with the ability of the registration rules with respect to who can carry and where there can be a concealed uh, weapon. Well, what's what's going to happen if it, that's set aside? Well, I, I try not to ever theorize or speculate on uh, what uh, the changes in the law are going to do, sir. Uh, bottom line is we have more lawful carriers of firearms out there. I mean, there's uh, one side of the fence that says that a armed society is going to be a safer society, uh, and then that you know the complete opposite on the other side of the fence. So we, we really just don't know what's going to happen yet. There are several states around the country that already have uh, similar uh, statutes that allow the open carry. Uh, of course, I think violent gun crime comes more down to population density than it does anything, and uh, it's going to be kind of a a waiting game to see what we can, what we're going to have to do to address this if it is eventually passed. John, I want to understand something. I think I heard you say. Did you say there's 18 to 20 million guns a year put into circulation in the United States? That's a guesstimate. Bottom line is, uh, gun manufacturers in this country and importers have to uh, provide data to us uh, as ATF because we regulate the industry on how many guns are manufactured or imported in every single year. That number has grown uh, specifically, uh, you know, uh, over the past uh, 20 to 30 years. I think uh, in uh, 2021, it was 18.5 million that were manufactured and ultimately put on the street, uh, not once, put available for sale or uh, export in this country. So we have a surplus of weapons that are already available. And the average time to crime in New York is about four or five years above the national average. So bottom line is we already have a plethora of firearms that are already on the streets. And what's our ability to track that? What's our ability to track from legal gun owners? If if I legally purchase a firearm, um, Mm -hmm. you have the ability to know that, you know, for the next 20, 30 years, if it turns up somewhere else, you knew that I'm the person that purchased it, correct? Well, sir, you referred to the national tracing uh, process, and uh, it comes to one of my big dilemmas that I face on a daily basis. Uh, when I got here in uh, 2019, we were not tracing firearms consistently uh, statewide here in New York. We just recently passed the collective data sharing agreement under Governor Hochul to uh, make uh, the sharing of trace data available to all law enforcement. Bottom line is about 50 percent of the law enforcement ag- uh, agencies in this country do not trace their crime guns. And I use this simple analogy when I'm trying to explain uh, to my law enforcement partners what ATF does and how we can benefit their violent crime reduction strategies. The tracing process tells you where that gun was born and where it died. First initial purchase to where it's recovered in a crime. Very important uh, facts for any investigator trying to link that gun to a violent crime. 
the National Integrated Ballistic Information Network tells you how that gun lived its life of crime. These are two tool sets that, unless they're optimized, they're literally like you're leaving evidence on the ground, for lack of a better term. John, this is former uh, so Congressman. Have, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, sir. So do we need to do a better job? Absolutely. We've got to do a better job in this country to unify and set up effective processes and optimize all of our processes to ensure any time a gun is recovered, we know where that gun was born and where it died. Is it always going to end up uh, telling us and solving the case? It may not, but it's going to give us a clue, and it's going to give us a door to knock on at least. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, John, this is Pete King. Just make uh, uh, one final statement here. I was actually at a uh, memorial service last week for John Capano, one of your heroic agents who was uh, killed in the line of duty. And it was, again, very you know, very moving, great guy. My wife actually taught him in school. But what is the level of cooperation between the ATF, let's say the state police, local police, uh, NYPD? You know, how is that level of cooperation? And with the DEA, all, all of the federal, state, and local uh, law enforcement agencies. Well, I'll speak just to here in New York State. I will tell you, since I got here in 2019, we've built one of the most progressive leadership teams uh, that I've ever seen in my long career with ATF. Uh, we work uh, consistently with uh, NYPD, FBI, DEA, HSI, and uh, Kevin Brewer from the state police is one of my most uh, adamant partners. We are all trying to work better together. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to be the solution for us to be better at our jobs is by sharing information consistently across the board. One of the key things that I'm trying to promote here in uh, New York State is, you know, we have a unified strategy to address the global threat of terrorism in this country. It's called the Joint Terrorism Task Force that the FBI runs, and they do a phenomenal job of bringing partners to the table and working together to address that threat. I think most Americans would be very surprised to learn that we do not have a a similar institution to address gun violence. Well, thank uh, gun you. Gun violence oh. is treated. Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just, uh, I know there the control room is waving at me. I just wanted you to finish your point. Bottom line is uh, we've all got to work together to do a better job of addressing the gun violence that's plaguing our streets on a daily basis. We fail every day, but we have to get up and develop more innovative ideas to be better at mitigating the risk it poses to the public. And that's what I do every single day. And we thank you so much for all the hard work that you and your fellow agents do every single day keeping our streets safe. Thank you so much, Special Agent in Charge, John DeVito. Thank you so much of the ATF. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Steve Forbes. The Fed raised the interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point. That's the biggest increase since 1994. What does that mean for our economy, for Americans? Keep it right here to find out. Cats at Night. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. Now on the line for us is Steve Forbes. He is, a, I guess, an expert when it comes to the economy, when it comes to inflation. Steve Forbes, at 2 o'clock today, the Fed dropped a bombshell. They raised the interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point. We haven't seen a spike that high since November of 1994. 
What does that mean for the American people? Is it a panacea? Is it or is it going to just make things worse? Uh, It's uh, going to make things worse. The Fed uh, helped bring on this disaster along with things that the federal government did. And so as a result, they are now in a position. All right. What do they do about it? Instead of just letting interest rates be set in the marketplace, you know, rent controls, we know, ultimately distort the market. They don't work. What the Fed practices is a form of rent control in terms of interest rates, which uh, interest rate is the rent you pay to borrow the money and uh, rent the money, you might say. And so uh, what the Fed has done today, and they're going to do some more, is unfortunately reflects their thinking. Their thinking is that the way you cure inflation is not by stabilizing the value of the dollar, but by depressing the economy, uh, making people buy less, increasing unemployment, fewer jobs, fewer raises. And it's a perverse thing. It's the equivalent years ago, hundreds of years ago, when doctors used to bleed the patient. Uh, They thought that cured the patient. Well, it got rid of the pain and suffering because it got rid of the patient. The Fed is guilty of that today. They're bleeding the economy. They want to slow down, and that's why we're in very real danger. And I think it's going to happen. It's already happening. We're going to have a recession. But, uh, Steve, I've been telling people, and I I am tired of telling people, it comes down to if – if we don't open up the spigots and reduce, you have two choices, reduce the price of oil or raise the interest rates. Raising the interest rates already today, the 30-year mortgage is over 6%. How many people are going to run to buy houses at 6%? How many business people are going to run to, to build a new factory at 6%? Well, John, that is exactly right. Here we have a housing shortage. Uh, and uh, what they're going to do is make housing even more scarce by and the, way, the way they do that is by making it unaffordable. So the shortage goes away because people can't buy it anymore. It's astonishing in how short a period of time the 30-year mortgage has gone from uh, about a year ago of 2.5%. Now it's over 6% and now going higher. And that's also going to be a uh, cost of uh, that's business gonna hurt the other country. interest rates go up. Uh, Steve, and that's going to hurt gonna the stop. whole country. It's going to put the country to stop stuff. Yeah. President Biden and the White, this White House has done everything possible to hurt this country. And, and money is moving from the United States to overseas, both ways, Pacific, Atlantic and Pacific. And, 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 and uh, raising the interest rates, it's going to hurt our, our companies and our real estate industries. And it's happening already when they say, oh, we're going to have a recession. I I make the point that uh, for millions of people, it's already here, i.e., prices are going up faster than their wages. More money is going out than coming in. And even though they say, oh, well, savings are still high, the savings rate, as you know, is a record low because people are drawing down their savings. And at some point, they're going to say, we have to have a cushion of sorts, and the buying is going to slow. You've got a little taste of that in the retail sales today. Uh, C. Forbes, what does this do for people that carry debt? Uh, for people who carry debt, if you have floating debt, and most mortgages are of a floating variety, uh, they get set every six months or a year, it, it's going to be higher costs. And so as people, you know, credit card debt is beginning to move up again, household debt is beginning to move up again, and those rates are going to be going up. And the bigger, even uh, more frightening question longer term is the federal debt. Now over thirty trillion, and if you have normal, if you have interest rates going up, you're going to suddenly have the federal government having to spend several hundred billion dollars more just paying the interest on the debt. And Judge Weinberg, your four hundred one k has seen better days, correct, sir? 
it's horrifying because they came in here and they said how wonderful it's going to be. We're going to have uh, better incomes, a good economy, greater opportunity. Our 401ks are, are down. Our costs of living are going down. Average people just can't make it anymore, Steve. Well, that's the thing. And that's why when they uh, Biden says, oh, you've never had it so good, <laughs> oh, that sounds good until you go buy gasoline. So a family that might have spent $1,500, $2,000 a year on gasoline now spending two or $3,000 more when you're on a fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 budget and you have to pay that with after-tax income, that's a, that's a crusher. And we have a minute left. Anything else you want to tell the American people? Uh, they got to put pressure on the representatives, one, to get rid of those who helped bring this mess on in this November. But in the meantime, start putting on the table – proposals to boost the production of this economy, i.e., allow federal leasing on lands for uh, oil and gas. Well, you know what we're going to tell the American people? We're all going to tell the American people, call your local congressman, especially the Democrats, call your local senator, especially the Democrats, call the White House and tell them, open up North America to oil and bring the price down. Thank you, Steve Forbes, for coming on, and we'll catch up again real soon. Look forward to it. Keep fighting. Keep we have fighting. to go to break. Okay, when we come when we come back, the great Senator Alphonse D'Amato. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis, Cats at Night, and now the greatest senator that ever lived. Senator Alphonse D'Amato, how are you, sir? I mean, you must have been listening to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Mama D'Amato. Let me tell you something. Uh, Steve Forbes and Johnny Katz were terrific. Forbes hit the nail right on the head. And Biden, everything he promised, you know, we're going to stop burning oil. We're going to not bring it in. He did. What a fantastic thing. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you know something? I can't even believe that he took any economics course any place, and if he did, he flunked or he dropped out. Uh, yeah, to be a low-grade idiot, to do what he did in stopping the pipeline and making it, if not impossible, for the oil companies to produce and and. And to say, we're going to stop fossil fuel. Well, you did it. You're great genius. And what has been the most punishing of all of the inflation factors is the oil. And it will be the electric bills you get from putting your air conditioning on uh, uh, this summer. And if you think that this rate increase is going to help the economy, you, you, get it, you better get a new brain. Because it's going to drive the cost up more. And let me tell you, I was not a great economic student. But if you raise interest rates, you slow the economy down, if that's what you want to do, and you raise the cost. We are going into an economic recession because Biden has got his way. And by the way, up, open up the border. Let the criminals come in. Let the fentanyl come in and kill more people. We lose 100,000 people a year. They die. 
And along the way, when they become addicted, they do things that are horrible in their hey, community. I, hey, Al, this is Pete King. I've known Joe Biden, but nowhere near as well as you. I mean, you've known him personally for years and years. He was at your wedding and everything else. He, he has slipped so much. How do you account for it's that? It's his fault you got married. <laughs> well, let me, let me say this to you. Um, I think that Joe uh, was an ultra-liberal all the time, but he could never have gotten elected a senator and stayed in office if he displayed that liberal philosophy in oh, Delaware. Okay. And so now that he's in and he's free and he can do what he wants, he hitched his star to the former Secretary of State, Heinz, who flies around. No, Heinz, this is, he married Heinz's widow. Kerry, um, John Kerry. John Kerry flies around the world. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to save the environment. Yeah, you save the environment and you are destroying people's lives and homes and, and, and this recession is on its way. You cannot increase um, uh, first a half a percent, then three quarters of a percent, and, and continue to do it and not think that you are going to throw this con- economy into a dither. And that's what's going to happen. And uh, Biden, you got your way. You know, you my know theory I- is on Joe Biden. I think his wife. I think Dr. Jill Biden is the, she's running things. Yes, I think she is the radical. I think she's his caregiver, taker, and I think she's constantly whispering in she's his the ear. Edith Wilson of our time. Is that what I you're think she is the Yoko to uh, yeah uh, John Lennon. There's some. That's what I think. Or I he's think listening to his son, like his, like his uh, Hunter Biden said he does. I don't know. You've hit upon something that's real, and Jill Biden has more power and influence than any of the public officials and the so-called, oh, these are the Obama people. This is baloney. He has to listen to her because he's going to, she's like, if you don't listen to me, I'm not wiping your butt later. Well, it's it's (laughs) Biden, John Kerry, who he has hitched onto, and his wife who who are pushing him. You're absolutely correct. And let me tell you something. Uh, You heard it from Steve Forbes. He's no fool. He knows about the economy, and he's 100% right. This business of driving up interest rates, and that's going to slow down inflation? Yeah, and it's going to cost thousands and millions of jobs that would be aren't going to be. Where's that going to do the housing problems? (laughs) Well, you just hit First of all, you're not going to have the development like you have seen, the development of housing, which was good and was helping the economy, and it was not one of the main things fueling the inflation. Go out and try try to buy uh, meat today and see what the price is. I I bought two half gallons of milk at $6.20 for a half gallon of milk. And how much was that sandwich? Well, Oh, the, the, the sandwich was six dollars and seventy-five cents that they used to sell for three fifty. This this is incredible what's going on, and this is hurting working middle-class families, and families that once were somewhat they had some leeway. They were making one hundred and twenty-five thousand, one hundred and thirty thousand. They got a kid in school. 
They are getting hurt. They run two cars. How do you run two cars today? And if you live in Nassau or in the suburbs or Suffolk, et cetera, and you've got to drive the car to Senator, get to work. Senator, we're out of time. But thank you, Senator yeah. D'Amato, and thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. Judge Weinberg, Congressman King, uh, Chief Carbonetti. Thank you. Uh, uh, Lydia Serrani. And what, what do we stand for in this show? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless New York. God bless America. We need a blessing. Thank you.